Welcome to the PCOS Diva podcast. My name is Amy Medling. I'm a certified health coach and founder of PCOS Diva. My mission is to help women with PCOS find the tools and knowledge they need to take control of their PCOS so they can regain their fertility, femininity, health, and happiness. Today's PCOS Diva podcast is sponsored by the seven-day Discover Your PCOS Diva Jumpstart program. Jumpstart is the place to begin when you're ready to commit to yourself and jump into your healing journey. Learn step-by-step how diet, lifestyle, and mindset changes can get you on the right path. You'll be thrilled to feel your energy return, brain fog lift, acne begin to clear, and so much more. Visit PCOSDiva.com slash jumpstart for more information and to get started today. If you haven't already, make sure you check out PCOSDiva.com. There I offer tons of great free information about PCOS and how to develop your PCOS diet and lifestyle plan so you can begin to thrive like a PCOS diva. Look for me on iTunes, Facebook, Pinterest, and Instagram as well. As you may know, because I've been talking quite a bit about it, I recently moved and one of the best parts of moving to a new community is meeting new people. I've especially loved getting to know a new neighbor in my new town of Hollis, New Hampshire, Liz Barber. Liz and I both share a love of cooking, gardening, creating recipes, and teaching people how to cook delicious and nutritious food from scratch. Liz is a chef, a cooking instructor, the founder of thecreativefeast.com, and author of the cookbook, Beautifully Delicious Cooking with Herbs and Edible Flowers. Liz is also an avid fan of intermittent fasting, and she hosts a Facebook group called Live Free and Fast New Hampshire Intermittent Fasting Support Group. So if you're interested in intermittent fasting, I encourage you to join her Facebook group. So anyone who's interested in learning more about intermittent fasting, its health benefits and weight loss help should join. And she really follows the best practices in the book, Delay, Don't Deny by Jen Stevens. So we're going to be talking about that as well as getting in your kitchen and I call it sizzling in the kitchen for your health. So really excited for today's conversation. Welcome, Liz. Thank you so much, Amy. It's great to be with you. So before we actually got to meet face-to-face, I had been following you on social media. You're a bit of a um, local celebrity. You've had columns and cooking columns and um, different local newspapers, and I've seen you on TV, but local TV. Um, Tell us how you really developed a love of cooking and teaching other people to um, really embrace sizzling in the kitchen. Um, Well, I actually had started um, quite a few years ago. Um, I had been living in um, the North End of Boston. And really, I I was, um, I moved there um, after a career in fashion in New York City. It was a big change for me. um, And I have always loved uh, food, obviously, and cooking. And um, 
was really introduced to the idea of, um, you know, working with local ingredients and, and all of that when I was living in the North End, which is one of the great places um, for food. Um, I started working in a gourmet food store in Cambridge and um, learned some basics. I mean, when I say basics, I mean basics. We did not have a commercial kitchen at the time. Uh, and this was in the early, like 1990. Um, they literally had hot plates and a big um, oven. And as a gourmet food store, they had produce and they had a meat counter. And, you know, when things aren't as beautiful or they're approaching, um, you know, the time frame where you've got to toss them before they get there, you still want to find uses for them. And I think that's really kind of where um, gourmet food uh, preparation started on a commercial level, you know, where you go in and if you go to a Whole Foods today, right, you can get a great salad and stuff. And while they, of course, are buying ingredients uh, fresh for that, we were trying to find creative ways to use them. And that's where I kind of cut my teeth in the cooking world and then progressed um, like many um, chefs do or cooks do is just working my way through um, commercial kitchens. Um, I did uh, at the Inn at Harvard in Cambridge, and then I started going into restaurants. So I don't have a formal um, degree from a culinary school. Um, I learned along the way. And every time you work under a chef, you learn something new. Um, so that's where I started. I was working for catering companies as well, which really taught me how to work on the fly, work in interesting locations. If you've ever been to a wedding out in the middle of a field, you, you should know that that caterer has created a kitchen um, out of almost nothing. And then they've gone ahead and prepared an amazing meal for you. So those are the, the kind, that's the background that I had. Um, and then, uh, my husband and I uh, moved from Massachusetts uh, to Hollis, New Hampshire in 1999. And um, I had not been cooking for a few years because my kids were little and um, we were lucky that I could stay home with them. And when we moved to Hollis, Amy, I said to my husband, don't you dare tell anybody that I have a professional cooking background because we'll never get invited to dinner. <laughs> And we actually kind of kept the secret um, for a while. And um, I think people are, are very intimidated when, you know, if they think they have a chef or, a, or a cook, you know, a, a professional cook in their, in their, at their dining table. So we kept it quiet. And um, even though I always told my husband, the best meals I've ever eaten are the ones that I don't cook. So exactly. <laughs> it, it's so true. Um, but anyway, so I decided, you know, the kids had gotten old enough. I have two kids um, and um, they got old enough where I could begin exploring the idea of heading back to work. I did not want to be in a professional kitchen. Um, it would be too restrictive on my time. So I started teaching cooking uh, through com uh, community adult education, continuing education. And um, so I started just kind of dabbling in getting in front of people and teaching basics. And, and I think that that has been my strongest lesson is the idea of just going back to basics. How, how do you, 
how do you cook a chicken breast without burning it? How do you cook, if you're going to make a soup, how do you cook the onions and the celery and the carrots so that they don't burn, right? These are very basic um, lessons, but most of us are um, learning through the internet where, oh my gosh, look at how delicious that recipe is that I found on Pinterest. I'm going to cook it right away. And we're not given the real basics of how to get from the very beginning of that recipe to the final end. Um, and we're not, when we're kids these days, we're not standing at their, our mother's apron strings, right? Because many of our mothers were working. So it's these basic lessons, the basic techniques that I've really focused on um, in my cooking uh, demonstrations, which is what I started. So I've been doing the demonstrations since 2004 and I travel um, or I was traveling throughout Massachusetts, uh, New Hampshire, uh, into Vermont, Maine, um, offering cooking demonstrations to libraries, uh, women's clubs, garden clubs, any group or organization that needed um, a speaker for entertainment. So I guess you could say I was food entertainment. Um, and so it was a really great marketing opportunity for me because I didn't have to advertise. I just needed to get in with those libraries and then word of mouth got around. And, you know, over the years, um, if I look at my email um, list, I have over 7,000 clients over the years that I've gotten to know and who um, I have many now that are internet uh, based since um, I took my um, cooking demonstrations out of those um, uh, locations and now I'm doing it completely online. So I've been doing that for a year and a half and now it's going across the country. So um, it's really so wonderful to meet people from all different parts of the country who want to learn how to cook, but don't want to be overwhelmed with um, overly complicated methods and techniques and ingredients. I think many of us really just want to know how do I take healthy ingredients and make a delicious meal that my family will not only eat once, but maybe will eat as leftovers, et cetera. Um, and, uh, and, and that's basically, that's where I am right now. I, I am um, working to expand this so that um, I will have a presence where you can come and pay for a class that you might be more interested in, maybe go a little bit more in depth than what I was able to cover in a library program. Mm -hmm. um, so I do offer demonstrations and I do offer um, cook-alongs. So that's pretty much the where I'm at at this, at this moment. Did I answer your question? <laughs> oh yeah. Um, you know, I think one of the things that I encourage my clients to do is to find a class that just teaches knife skills and yes. how to use a chef's knife in the kitchen. If you can get good at cutting, um, dicing, mincing, um, vegetables and that to me, that's half the battle. You're so right. And that is one of, um, I did a few classes last year online where people came and um, together uh, on video, we, we used our knives. Um, I, and I've done knife skills class over the years for um, 
school cafeteria staff. I've done them um, for uh, corporate groups. Um, I, I completely agree with you that understanding number one, how to sharpen a knife mm-hmm. um, and number two, how to use it. It will make the task more enjoyable. There's nothing worse than cutting something with a dull knife and you've shredded a piece of meat or you just can't get through that carrot and or the tomato. It's not, for me, it's always the tomato. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, well, here <laughs> okay, bell pepper. I mean, right. So here's your first tip, Amy. When you are cutting a tomato, always use a serrated knife. Mm-hmm because that will cut into the skin. A dull knife will skid across the skin. And it's when you're cutting a pepper, um, I recommend that I, I, there is a technique to cutting it, but once you get that pepper open, cut from the inside where there's texture and that will help your knife stay in place. Oh, that's great. You know, I think a lot of uh, my clients and women that follow PCOS Diva I think one of the, the, the hardest, and we've been talking about this on the last couple of podcasts is getting your family on board with healthy eating. And I think part of that reason is that, um, people think that vegetables are kind of, um, boring or unappetizing, uh, they might have been used to their like mother's way of preparing vegetables, uh, maybe like a boiled cauliflower or <laughs> really overcooked peas or, um, you know, I'm just thinking it, yeah. I mean, I, I love my mother, but she's not a great cook. Um, and I'm just thinking about things that we, oh gosh, really super soggy asparagus. Um, yep. and so I always, um, tell people that they're, that making vegetables taste delicious is really the key to get your, your family on board. Um, so I was wondering if you had some kind of tips and how do you teach your students to prepare really delicious veggies? That is a great question. And I end up without realizing it. Well, I ended up doing a lot of vegetable dishes when I was traveling because of the um, hazards of traveling with raw meat. So I have focused a lot on vegetables. So what I would, what I tell my students is number one, you must season your vegetables. Mm -hmm. Now we have been trained that salt is not good for you or that you should use very little. And the fact is, is that our bodies require salt and our bodies will shed the extra salt that we may have taken in. So if you have too much sodium, your body is uniquely designed to get rid of it through your urine, your sweat, all of that, right? So if you have a doctor's order not to salt, by all means, you know, you should follow your doctor's um, recommendations. But there are many of us who have never had those issues. And yet we're denying ourselves the critical ingredient in, in, in cooking, because salt will actually, it does a couple of things in cooking vegetables in particular. Number one, salt will bring out the 
natural flavors of your vegetables. So we don't want to dramatically change the flavor of um, broccoli, for example. We can, um, through different cooking techniques, we can soften that flavor, right? Because there is a lot of, um, for some people, they're super tasters and something like broccoli can taste very strong. Mm -hmm. So if you notice, the longer you cook broccoli, the softer or the milder that um, bitterness becomes. Now I know, and you know, we've both had moms who may have overcooked our vegetables according to today's standards, right? Um, there was a time where you just barely blanched your broccoli back in the, like I would say 1980s, early 90s, just barely heated it, lots of crunch. And we've been doing that. Um, but if you are somebody where a flavor of a vegetable is too strong, the longer you cook it, actually, the sweeter it becomes. Um, and then adding salt will help bring that flavor out. Um, so I have found, and you may be surprised, Amy, and I'm going to challenge you to try this. If I do cook my broccoli till it's very soft, I drain it, strain it, and then I season it with extra virgin olive oil, salt and pepper, and lemon juice, that will pop the flavor back up, um, but also give me the sweetness that I like in that. So mm -hmm. there's a couple things in that instruction. There is uh, the salt. Absolutely, you need that. I also add in pepper with that. But then there's that lemon. Lemon is um, another way to brighten up the flavor of your vegetables because of the acid in it. So um, you may taste a cooked vegetable, for example, and this would apply to anything that you're, you're preparing and you taste it and you're like, mm, it's missing something, it's missing something, what is it missing? So the first thing we typically go for is salt, add a little bit of that. But what you can also go for is a little bit of acid in the form of lemon juice, you could use lemon zest, which has the most natural lemon flavor in it, because that's where the oils are, but doesn't add bitterness. So if you don't like the bitterness of lemon juice, use the lemon zest. Um, and then surprisingly, for some people, even a little bit of sugar will help. So um, anyway, th those are some basics. Now, if we're talking about cooking techniques for your vegetables, as I mentioned in my example, there's um, steaming or boiling. If you want, always use salted water, even if you're steaming, um, because that salt will then infuse itself into your vegetable from the very start. I like to use a kosher salt, but you could certainly use a really great mineral salt. Um, Redmond uh, real salt is um, a, a really nice sea salt that you can use. So um, you can use that. So we have steaming or boiling. All you know, we've heard a lot about roasting your vegetables. Um, roasting will bring out the natural sugars from your vegetables. Just know that when you roast, you are caramelizing the sugars. That's why um, you see a lot of browning on your roasted vegetables. So we wanna make sure that we are roasting at a high heat. That could be 425 
degrees. In some people, they have a very efficient oven, so it might be 400 degrees. You want to be using a nice um, open sheet pan where you have room between your vegetables. If you closely pack your vegetables in the oven, you're essentially steaming them because mm -hmm. they're too close together, right? That's a good um, tip. Yes. And um, also, you do want to use fat. So we have the combination of salt and fat, and that will bring out the natural flavor in your vegetables as well. So when I'm roasting my vegetables, I'm lightly uh, tossing, tossing them in, in a little bit of either uh, olive oil or extra virgin olive oil. Um, I'm giving a nice generous pinch of salt and some pepper and boom, that goes into the oven. Um, if you are uh, someone who, um, wants to steam some vegetables, right? So say we're, we're going to steam some cauliflower, for example, as you mentioned, um, steam them till they're fork tender. What does that mean? That means you put your fork in and it goes in easily and it pops out easily, okay? Fork tender, bring that out and then um, uh, drain them and then put them back in your hot um, saucepan and then add butter butter, 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 add butter to it and let the butter just melt on top, taste, add salt and pepper to taste, and then you're all set. Um, so those are a couple of really quick tips that I can give you. But what you'll notice in all of those is the importance of the seasoning. And I haven't even touched on adding herbs or spices. I'm getting you back down to the basics. Okay. Yeah. And, and I think you brought up a great um, I, I think herbs are so underrated yes. in cooking, especially fresh herbs. And I know you have a beautiful kitchen garden in the summer. Um, and I really encourage people to, you know, have a, have a kitchen garden or even some pots on your windowsill, like in the winter time. Um, I think that adding some fresh herbs to, to veggies like that, uh, you know, just toss them in with the butter afterwards, it really elevates the, the veggie. It, it does. And, and, you know, for people who are um, not confident in their cooking or in their, um, in their choices of flavors, right? Blending flavors. I get a lot of questions of what herbs should I use? What combinations of herbs should I use? Um, if you're un uncertain you're, or underconfident in that. Um, one of the, the best herbs that I recommend is a, a, a bunch of flat leaf parsley. Mm -hmm. It can change everything you prepare um, by adding that um, chopped up and at the end, right before you're ready to serve. Flat leaf parsley is more of a tender herb. And um, if I'm going to add it, I'll chop it and um, back to our cauliflower. I will add it to the cauliflower when I'm adding when I'm adding that butter, and um, the heat will bring out the oils of the parsley and will really give you a burst of fresh flavor. Um, so uh, I would say start with parsley. You can actually um, cut it up and use it in your salads. You can um, toss it with your tomato sauce right before you're ready to serve. You could toss it with um, spaghetti squash, salt, 
pepper, olive oil, you've got an amazing dish right there. So very simple. Um, so, you know, again, if we were to say, what are the basics? I would say salt, pepper, olive oil, butter, parsley. Perfect. Then you, then you can move into other herbs and spices as well. Yeah. And I'll just mention a few that I love, um, like a little bit more advanced when it comes mm -hmm. to tossing, um, herbs over, um, steamed vegetables or roasted or grilled. I love, um, herbal kind of sauces. I, I guess, I don't know if you would yep. consider it a sauce, but like a chimichurri, um, yep. or a pesto, or I'm, um, I've recently discovered zatar. Um, I don't know if that's the way that you say it. It's like yes. a Middle Eastern, Eastern spice mix with sesame and sumac and thyme. And you can buy it in like a dry, it's not a fresh herb, but you add um, olive oil to that and drizzle it over your vegetables and it's delicious. Oh, it is. And, and you know, um, don't be afraid to buy, you know, spice mix mixes like that. Mm -hmm. um, I know Trader Joe's has quite a few that people really like. Um, the Zatar, um, you know, you may have a Southwest seasoning blend that you really like. Um, those are all great um, things to add um, right before you serve in most cases. Um, just knowing that the heat will actually bring out those flavors better. Although you can use them in salad dressings and things like that. Um, if you're going to do that, try to um, pinch them with your fingers to kind of um, rough them up a bit and get the, the oils uh, to come out. Um, but yeah, any kind of um, spice mixes. If you go to my um, website at thecreativefeast.com, I actually have um, spices combinations there. But also when you mentioned um, pesto, um, I just taught a class the other night using gremolata, which is a um, classic Italian condiment added to stews to brighten them up. But I mm -hmm. use the gremolata on pastas over fish with chicken over vegetables. And all it is, is it's um, extra virgin olive oil, crushed garlic, chopped parsley, um, uh, Parmesan cheese, lemon zest, salt and pepper. These are all the things we've already talked about mm -hmm. and they're all in that combination. And I just keep that in my refrigerator and add it to whatever I feel like. I made scrambled eggs the other day. I added it to my scrambled eggs. So again, you can see where you're taking the simplest of preparation. If we look at scrambled eggs, we've got really healthy eggs there. How do I elevate the flavor? Well, I've got my gremolata, we have our zatar, uh, we have our flat leaf parsley, you might have a Southwest seasoning you wanna sprinkle on top. You can take those very simple dishes and elevate them and really um, entice yourself to eat healthy in a simpler way. And it really becomes more intuitive too. You don't yes. need to like, you know, pour through a recipe book, you kind of have these simple ingredients in your fridge and you, you start to really understand how to mix and match. So, um, you can bring out those natural flavors. Yes. Yeah. And, you know, again, you know, just stick with what, you know, right. Mm -hmm. If you are somebody that makes a great tomato sauce, for example, okay. 
you, you can do so much with your tomato sauce. You could, instead of just taking it in that traditional Italian way, you could add um, curry powder to that and then a can of coconut milk. And then you've Ooh, got, that sounds good, right? A curry mm-hmm. coconut sauce. You've got the beginnings of a curry coconut soup, mm-hmm. right? So stick with what you know and then start to go off of that. And that way you're moving into this culinary adventure, beginning with a base of confidence, Mm -hmm. and then you're just trying it out. So I wanna move to our other topic. Um, Mm -hmm. And, you know, way back when, when I graduated uh, college, I wanted to go right on to culinary school and my parents said, <laughs> said, no way, you know, <laughs> you're going to, you have to pay off those loans and that's going to be on you. So I went, I went into the work world, but always just had a love of cooking. But part of me always felt like, oh my gosh, if I'm in a kitchen all day long, I will, won't be able to manage my weight. And I always wonder that, you know, with people who are in a kitchen, their, their whole life is focused on cooking and food, um, like managing your weight is something that I've always wondered if I would be able to manage. Um, so I want, you know, I, I thought that it was so interesting that you are really passionate about intermittent fasting. And I'm just curious how you kind of, um, discovered intermittent fasting and what that has meant for you? Well, I, um, I decided, you know, I have always, um, I've shifted our diet, my husband's and mine, my family's, you know, until the kids left for school, I've always, you know, made changes in the diet, you know, we cut out, you know, stop putting bread on the table. When we have dinner, we, we did that. After a while, we, you know, decided to stop drinking wine every night with dinner, you know, little changes. And, and we were, I, I know we were getting healthier, but I wasn't losing weight and it was making me crazy. And I am a regular um, exerciser. Um, I had been lifting weights. I had been doing everything that I was told to do. And then um, along came this, you know, the keto craze. And I was very curious about that. Um, it made sense because years before I had followed um, a program similar to the Atkins program. So it was mostly um, high fat, um, really good vegetables and, and, and healthy fruits, very little um, processed foods. And I did very well um, with that. And then of course, like all diets and as I'm sure um many of your listeners have discovered, um, you know, once you're done, you're like, Oh, I'm done. I, <laughs> I lost that 20 pounds. And mm-hmm. then it all begins to creep back up. So we we've all done this some to um, other, ex- you know, more extreme than, than others. But um, so I was interested in the, in the keto diet and I started listening to the, the two keto dudes and um they were, they were fun to listen to, but what I was interested in is um, I ha- don't consider myself to be a science-minded person. And they were talking about um, food science in a way that I had 
never been able to grasp before. And so I was listening to them about the keto diet and I thought, oh, I'm going to try this. And my husband, uh, Ted, will watch from the sidelines. Um, and he's like, not interested. I mean, he's in very good shape. He, he really never had weight to lose. He's always been a runner. Um, and I had about 25, 30 pounds I wanted to lose. So, so he watched me do the keto thing. And he said, you know what I don't like about that diet or any diet is there's denial in that diet. You can't have certain things. And he said, I don't ever want to eat where I can't have what I want to eat. Mm -hmm. And I thought, well, he's living in a fantasy world. There's just, <laughs> I'll do the work and he'll see. Um, and so these guys, as I was following along, I found I really enjoyed the food. I was loading on the fat as they recommended. And I actually had started to see results. And then it kind of came to a stop. And as I listened, one of these guys was uh, like sitting down at his microphone saying, oh, I, and he's from Australia, and I won't even try the accent. But he said, I just got in from a um, uh, 35 mile bike ride. And I've been fasting for 22 hours. I'm like, who does that? That's insanity. How can he do that? And then I would listen to another one of their shows and he would come in and have this, you know, long fasted state. And then they started talking about intermittent fasting. And these guys were both, um, I think, uh, obese at one time. And they're talking about the weight they lost, the combination of keto and intermittent fasting. And that's when I started looking into this intermittent fasting thing, because they were telling me they could eat whatever they wanted. And so then I started looking around and I fell on Jim Stevens' Delay, Don't Deny. Um, oh no, I take that back. I came across her podcast with Melanie Avalon. It's called The Intermittent Fasting Podcast. And I would recommend that to any new faster. And I would recommend the first 100, 100 episodes, mainly because after that, they changed the format and started bringing in commercials. Um, but before that, they were taking questions from listeners. And I found that incredibly healthy, uh, helpful. And one of the listeners was a chef. And she uh, talked about how can I intermittent fasting if I'm a, you know, do intermittent fasting if I'm a chef. And I realized that I had. I had been doing it. Um, and so how, how was I able to lose weight? I lost 25 pounds. How was I able to do that and be a chef? Well, if you follow the intermittent fasting simplicity, the, we, um, the elegance of it, it's just where you have taken the amount of hours in which you eat and you've condensed them, right? So if I'm on a 19-5 fasting protocol, I will eat within five hours. Now, I can put those five hours any time during the day. I can slot them in. So when I test recipes, I test them in my eating window. Mm -hmm. When I do classes, I do them outside of my eating window because I don't eat in class. I don't eat in front of my students. So I would eat before I packed up my car and got on the road. 
and then I would go. So I would begin my fast before I left my home. And then I was so energized in my classes. I, I mean, I, and I stopped falling asleep on my drives. I would take one and a half, two hour drives to and from daylight and nighttime. I, I just started seeing phenomenal results just in my, how my daily life operated, let alone the idea that I was losing weight. I was toning up like crazy and I had stopped my gym membership completely. No more gym, but the inflammation went down and revealed the muscles I had been working on for years. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it was really exciting. So that's how I discovered the intermittent fasting. I learned so much from Jen Stevens and Melanie Avalon. And then I progressed to listening to, uh, uh, listening to Jen Stevens, other podcasts, reading her books, following her Facebook groups. And then I realized, you know, I needed to, I needed to share the information. So that's what started me sharing through the, my own Facebook group. Well, and you shared Jen Stevens book with me. I had not heard of Jen um, until you had mentioned the delay, not deny. So I picked up a copy of her book. And I think what I really liked um, is that she's a regular person, you know, just, um, and she struggles with uh, insulin resistance as I do. And I would venture to say most of the women listening to my podcasts um, struggle with inner, with uh, insulin resistance. And I think what I also liked about her approach is that she, it's not a one size fits all fasting approach. And that's what I say about the PCOS diet. There's no one size fits all approach. You really have to, um, through trial and error, figure out what works best for you. However, there's, you know, within guidelines, you know, you, you have to eat lots in terms of the PCOS, the best diet. Um, you have to figure out the, the right mix of macros for you, but you can't not eat lots of vegetables. So that's why we were talking about how to make vegetables taste good oh. um, earlier. Um, <laughs> but what I love about her book is that she really details her fasting journey. And she kind of landed on like you did that 19, um, fasting for 19 hours eating within that five hour window. So in my book, um, and working with my clients, I, I like to start with just 12 hours. You know, Mm -hmm. I, I think when, when, um, women have a lot of issues with blood sugar control and insulin resistance, you kind of have to get that stabilized first. And it's so important to give, to go and have that rest and digest phase, but then you can, um, start sort of playing around with that fasting window. So I'm just curious with you, did you, how did you land upon that 19 five fasting protocol? Well, um, I did just as you recommend started out with the 12 hour fast and you are right. You know, most of us, we can do that, you know, cause there's so much, there's time sleeping in there and then you can keep busy. Um, and then I just started moving, um, you know, 14 hours, 16 hours. Once I got to 18 hours, um, <laughs> believe it or not, my husband jumped on board. He was like, Oh, well, that makes sense to me. 
So this made sense to him um, because we were talking about the science of it. And I, and I always recommend to people, if you want to be, if you want to take on intermittent fasting, number one, we know there are so many benefits to that lowering insulin being, you know, one of the most important for, for us or lowering your inflammation. Um, you need to read, you need to learn. Please don't ask me what you should do. I know what works for me. I can help you to understand, you know, to, you know, why would you, how, how can you get over a plateau? Um, what kinds of um, tricks do you have to keep me from getting hungry? I can support you in all of that, but I cannot give you the best um, protocol that works for your body. You know, there are times where I, I had been doing the 19.5 for quite some time. And then um, I kind of reached a plateau and I had read something that said, you should try a 24-hour fast once a week. And I thought, okay, I'll, I'll do that. And so I did my first 24-hour fast. I was elated. And then I discovered there are people who actually fast for 36, 72 hours, you know, but you see... It doesn't, more doesn't mean better necessarily, right? If you're at 19.5, you feel great. You're noticing progress. You don't then have to think, well, I should then try, you know, a 36 hour fast. If 19 hours is good, 36 hours will be even better. Not necessarily. You've got to work up to it. Maybe it's not right for your body type, maybe with the PCOS as an issue, there are a lot of things going on that, you know, doing those longer fasts just isn't going to work for you. There are some times where I will go from, um, I'll do regularly, more often I do 20 and four, 20 hours fasted, four hours feasting. I'll go back to eating two meals a day for a, a few days. I'll go back to a 16.8 or an 18.6. And then all of a sudden I see my, my weight drop a little bit, right? So we want to give our body, uh, we want to kind of uh, jostle it up a little bit, you know, try a little something different. Um, so for me, I've been doing it now for almost five years. Um, I know when I start to, you know, retain a little bit of weight or retain water, I know what I need to do. Um, I know that I need to cut my carbs. That absolutely will do it for me. Um, I know that I need to up my protein. That's really critical for women. I, I can't speak specifically to the PCOS um, aspect, um, but protein is really important. And I think in many cases, we don't eat enough. The other thing is, is while um, a lot of people are into adding fat into their diet, um, I caution people to add excessive fat into your diet. Um, I simply just, instead of denying myself fat, I'll just add it so that it flavors my food, but won't add tons of it. Keto people add tons of fat to their food. If you've got fat to lose, you've got to watch out how much fat you're adding in. Well, the, and, and I um, worry about that traditional keto approach 
Um, yeah. because I think that the emphasis on fat and protein, mm-hmm. um, kind of de-emphasizes the, the vegetable piece. And, you know, as, as, if you've been listening, you know, that I'm not vegan or vegetarian, but we have to have those phytonutrients with lots of mm-hmm. fiber to help with the hormone balance that, um, to ease the inflammation and the insulin resistance. So I, I agree. You have to be careful with the amount of, um, you know, the fat and, pr- you know, it all needs to be balanced to work best for your body. And that does take some trial and error. Um, yeah. And I think to people, um, you know, the keto diet has become very popular and we have to watch out how different diets are marketed to us. As we all know, um, you know, the keto diet originally was a therapeutic diet for very specific conditions. And I think it's most successful long-term in, in that regard, as opposed to people just taking it on because it's a fad diet. You have to watch that. Um, when they're trying to sell you things about a, sp- a specific diet, my, my red flag goes up. Um, intermittent fasting is absolutely free. And in fact, it'll save you money. I don't have to buy anything to do intermittent fasting. You know, there's no pill, there's no drink, there's no candy bar. There's nothing like that. It's just um, a question of time. Mm -hmm. So in your Facebook group, what are some of the um, obstacles that you find people who are just getting started run into? Um, I, I kind of touched on it before I have had, uh, People say, oh, I'm so excited about this. I've done a lot of reading. I'm going to do a 24-hour fast. So they're jumping into these long fasts first. You're you're setting yourself up for disappointment. And, And I would never, and Jen mentions this, I don't ever want anyone to white knuckle it through a fast. Mm -hmm. It's something you need to build up to. It's like exercise, right? You add, um, if you're going to lift weights, you're going to add, um, your weights slowly get used to that weight and then add more as your body settles in, you want to jump start it again by adding a little bit more. So start with, as you recommend, start with that 12 hour fast. And then over the next week or so, build yourself up to 14 hours and then maybe 16 over the next couple of weeks. But do remember that some of the things, the foods that you eat um, can trigger your hunger. So you have to, you have to watch out for that. I practice the clean fast. Um, I know you've read delay. Don't deny Amy. So you know that Jen Stevens is a real stickler for that. And I always recommend that. So what does that mean? That means when you fast, you are uh, only drinking water and it can be bubbly water of any kind, but no flavor, no sweeteners, artificial or natural. Um, You can drink black coffee. You can drink black or green tea Um, with the idea that you do not want flavor or sweetness to spike your insulin during your fast. Mm -hmm. Now, there are gray areas um, for some people, and and it it is an experiment of one, 
um, a little bit of peppermint spray to freshen your breath, doesn't spike your insulin, doesn't make you hungry. Okay, maybe that works for you, but peppermint tea would send me over the edge mm -hmm. because peppermint in my brain means sweet. Do you see what I'm saying? So exactly. Right. So again, we come always come back to you're an experiment of one. You may be somebody who can uh, drink um, cinnamon in your tea, but I cannot because it'll just make me think of some the next sweet thing I can have. Mm -hmm. And once I start to trigger my insulin, then I, then I'm white knuckling it. I'm hungry. I can't stop thinking about it. You know, all of that. So yeah, that is always a, a question for me, but delay, don't deny Jen Stevens does a great job in taking you step-by-step. Step. And as you mentioned, she's, she's like you, she's like me, we're all just regular people trying to figure this out. And, and she was a teacher. So she has a great way of explaining things to you um, that are scientific that you can use in your tool belt. But then, you know, when you're fasting, how do I keep from being hungry? Uh, what busy things can I do? I'll tell you the first months that I was practicing it, the drawers in my kitchen were so clean and organized. <laughs> you know, you start making a list of projects because, you know, the hour or so before you're going to break your fast, that could be the toughest hour because you're just trying to extend it that one extra hour. So that's when I think, well, what can I do for an hour? Uh, I know I'll go outside and clean the chicken coop or I'll go weed or I'll go collect some herbs or, you know, I'll go for a walk. I'll take the dog for a walk. You know, um, there are lots of little ways that you can extend your fast and you will find that hunger goes in waves. So while you may be hungry, um, if you can occupy your mind within 10 minutes, that hunger will go away. It's not a continuous climb. Mm -hmm. And yeah, that's an and, important thing to remember. Um, and, and I'll say that I have been able to go from 12, like do the 12 hour fast to 16 hours, um, a couple times a week. That's my, that's kind of my pattern. I'll do the 16, eight sort of fast, like, um, on the days I don't work out, which is Tuesday and Thursday, I, I may try the five hour feeding window. Um, I'm not sure if I'll ever, if I'll be able to get there. Um, <laughs> but you know, I, I can definitely see the benefit of some type of intermittent fasting. And I really encourage listeners to pick up a copy of Jin's book, um, to, to experiment with your window of fasting and feeding and to definitely check out, um, Liz's online Facebook group for support. I've been on there. She's, she, you do a great job supporting your, your tribe, Liz. And, oh, and I, and I you. want you to tell us also about your cooking classes, um, and what's coming up. Um, if you know, divas are interested in, you know, learning some, um, techniques to make it easier for them to, to get in the kitchen and start cooking real food from scratch. Well, thank you so much for um, letting me mention that. So if you, if you go to my website, it's called thecreativefeast.com. 
So my business is The Creative Feast. And if you go there, you will um, see that you can um, follow me on Instagram uh, if you would like. Um, down at the bottom, you can follow me on Facebook for with The Creative Feast. Um, there is um, a calendar there and you will see what libraries um, I am doing online programs for. Um, so for example, uh, tomorrow night, um, I am going to be, let's see, what is our date today? So I'm going to be um, cooking online for the Melrose Massachusetts Public Library, and I'm going to be doing new traditions for Thanksgiving. So you can go either to the, the calendar and sign up, or if it's not there, you can go to the Melrose Public Library and sign up with the library. It's free. Um, libraries encourage people from all over the country to enjoy their programming. Um, so that's how you can find me, you know, doing uh, programs that are public. Um, I will be um, putting together um, private classes that you can join. So they'll be for those who want to sign up and join me on Zoom um, cooking together. Um, the best thing for you to do about that is if you go to the contact Liz page and just um, uh, join my email list, um, that will, um, then you'll get uh, a mailing. And I don't do a lot of mailings. Um, so um, you'll just get uh, a reminder that you can check out my calendar and then you'll be able to register for those classes. So um, those are fun. Also, if you go to my food and fun, you can check out my recipe blog. Um, lots of recipes there and down on the categories, you're going to see um, a lot of different um, opportunity, you know, options there for different categories of cooking. Um, and I update that all the time because as I teach classes, I do bring new recipes almost um, weekly. So that's there. And then, of course, you can continue to scroll down. There is where it says food and fun, um, my live free and fast um, page that just gives you some help there, but you can also join my Facebook group um, called Live Free and Fast Support Group. And I do, Amy, um, every couple of weeks, I do a live uh, Zoom uh, in the evenings. Um, so if anybody would like to you know, ask questions uh, during that time, always welcome to join us. Um, we have some really great uh, people as part of our group, some long-term fasters, some new ones. I learn something every time we have, we call it our fasting talk. Um, every time um, I learn uh, new things and what they, um, you know, people are doing um, in their own fasting practice, supplements, things like that. Um, it's fascinating. So lots of information. If you go to my website, you can also check out my edible gardens. Um, and um, Amy, I still have to have you over to my house. Um, we live in one of the oldest um, homes here in Hollis. And we had a kitchen remodel, which is where I do my um, classes from. So you can check that out. So lots of information on the website. Well, I would love to do, uh, we could do a live class like on Instagram live, um, oh, and yes. Facebook live for, yes. for the PCOS divas. Um, we could do something around cooking vegetables. Oh, <laughs> I'd love so, to. Okay. But that would, would be you great. be in, would you be in your kitchen and I would be in mine or would you oh, I'll, I'll come over to your kitchen. Oh, and we'll good. Do it in your good. Kitchen. Excellent. Um, I would, I would love that. And so I will post all of your, um, your links that you mentioned in today's show notes, as well as a link to your 
cookbook, Beautifully Delicious Cooking with Herbs and Edible Flowers, um, so that listeners can go to the podcast page and find all of those great resources. So thank you so much, Liz, for joining us. Um, I, I know we've been talking about this. I'm glad we were able to, to get together today. Well, thank you so much, uh, Amy, for inviting me. And I'll look forward to um, talking with you again. And thank you, everyone, for listening. I look forward to being with you again very soon. Bye-bye. Well, that wraps up our podcast today. Thank you so much for joining us on the PCOS Diva podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. And if you liked this episode, remember to subscribe to PCOS Diva on iTunes or wherever else you may be listening to this show. And if you have a minute, please leave me a quick review on iTunes because I love to hear from you. If you think someone else might benefit from this free podcast, please take a minute to share it with a friend or family member so she can benefit from it too. And don't forget to sign up for my free weekly newsletter. Just enter your email at pcosdiva.com to get instant access and make sure you never miss a future podcast. This is Amy Medling wishing you good health. Bye-bye.